Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And we are live, or I am live, I should say, for the uh, MMA Industry Podcast, November 9th edition. Oh, we are now live here on the MMA Industry Podcast, November 9th edition. I am your host, James Lynch, and normally uh, we would have a guest on the show, but uh, this week I figured uh, just with the fact that I get so many questions uh, kind of asking me about the, you know, my, my experiences in the industry and just uh, general questions uh, as far as the industry itself, I figured I'd take this opportunity to kind of have a podcast where I can answer your questions, talk a bit about my background, and, and also, uh, you know, try and make this informative for people. Because oftentimes when we have the guest on here, it, it's tough. You know, I'm trying to add in my two cents, but really the episodes are both the guests and their experiences covering the sport of mixed martial arts. So uh, for those who don't know, I am uh, James Lynch. I uh, work here for Fightful.com as well as a couple other sites, including uh, Fansided, Flow Combat, um, and uh, MMA Odds Breaker, and Sportsnet. I, I do freelancing for, for a bunch of different sites. I'm uh, based in uh, Toronto, Canada, and uh, I'm, uh, I do uh, video interviews primarily. That's sort of my bread and butter as far as uh, what you'll see me doing. I also do a bit of writing and, and a bit of uh, social media stuff as well, but uh, that's sort of the, the main stuff for those who uh, don't know about me. Um, but uh, let, let's sort of kick things off uh, with this first. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of questions, you know, kind of ask me, you know, how did I get into combat sports? What's sort of my interest? And uh, believe it or not, some people may not know this, but uh, pro wrestling was actually where I got uh, kind of interested in, in MMA or sort of led to, to MMA uh, being interested in it. Uh, for me, it was uh, it was all about uh, the Attitude Era. Uh, you know, we'll go back to like, you know, late 90s, um, you know, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mankind. That was, I was totally into wrestling. I, I always watched Raw. I always watched SmackDown. Down. That was sort of my uh, my bread and butter back in the day, and uh, now it's uh, you know it, it's one of those things where um, I, I took some time off, you know, from about 2000 until about 2004. I didn't watch any combat sports. Um, I was you know really into hockey. Growing up in Canada, growing up in Vancouver, uh, that was sort of uh, what I was really into for you know for a long time. And uh, the the love of combat sports actually came in uh, about 2004 uh, when the the first season of The Ultimate Fighter started. I can distinctly remember in college, uh, I was you know flipping through the channels and I see the the episode of the the first season of The Ultimate Fighter where Chris Liebman uh, knocks down uh, the the door on on a, like a drunken rampage. Um, of course, for, for those who haven't seen the episode, uh, Chris Liebman's basically uh, you know wasted and and Josh Koscheck and Bobby Southworth are kind of teasing him and uh, Liebman gets up and, and wants to go kick the crap out of them. So so that for some reason that episode caught my attention. 
And then from there, I got hooked on the Ultimate Fighter. And then from there, I got hooked on the UFC. And then from there, I got hooked on Pride and, and everything else. And the rest is history. So it's kind of a uh, an interesting way of how I got into it. I was not one of the original guys who, you know, watched the UFC from the very start, uh, like, like some people uh, have. Um, I was uh, what they would call back in the day a, a tough noob. That was sort of the term they used back in the day. But, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of what got me into it. Uh, and then as far as, uh, you know, my career and sort of getting in the industry and everything like that, uh, that sort of went hand in hand with, you know, sort of my love of, of MMA. Um, I always wanted to be a broadcaster. I actually wanted to be a hockey broadcaster uh, ever since I was younger. I, I grew up playing hockey. That's sort of, uh, you know, where, where I got my background and everything. And uh, in Canada, um, uh, we have a station here called Sportsnet. And uh, one of my favorite anchors growing up was Don Taylor. Uh, for, for those who are from Canada, you might know who I'm talking about. He had a very interesting style and I wanted to be just like him that was sort of the goal and uh, I went to I went to you know university I, I did a degree in communications and then I went to college and did television broadcasting and then from there um, I kind of transitioned from that into getting an internship at a network that no longer exists here in Toronto uh, called the score that was my first job ever I was a script writer and uh, my goal was to, to be a sports broadcaster and it didn't work out <laughs> I'll just leave it at that uh, it was my first media job and I realized very early on two things number one I'm not good at strip, script writing and number two um, I don't know every sport very well I know certain sports good I know hockey really well I obviously know MMA really well but uh, things didn't work out but it actually worked out pretty good for me in the end because I ended up going to Fight Network after that uh, so this is about 2008 and uh, that's sort of where I, I started working in, in MMA. And uh, that was actually the first time I went full-time as far as working uh, in the MMA industry. Um, I was working at Fight Network as an editor, eventually sort of moved my way up and uh, made my way to being a producer and then eventually a reporter. And then I was doing highlights every week. If you go on Fight Network's YouTube channel right now, if you look, you know, say 2009, 2010, you'll see me voicing highlights. It's pretty crazy, actually. I kind of always forget that I used to do that over there. But uh, I, I was at Fight Network for, you know, a couple of years. Uh, pay wasn't great. Um, you know, I'll just be honest. I'm, I'm not, you know, there's no slight on them. That's just sort of the, the nature of the business. I actually was working a second job at the time just so I could, you know, be able to live. Um, I was actually working at Good Life Fitness, uh, which is like a gym here in uh, Toronto. I was doing customer service and I was working about six days a week uh, back then. So I was working at Fight Network and I was working at Good Life just to make sure I was able to sort of stay afloat. And I did that for a couple of years. But as most people know, as you get older, uh, you, you definitely want to, uh, to, to, you know, start saving money. And I wasn't doing that. So, about 2011, I believe it was, um, I, uh, I ended up leaving uh, the, the Fight Network and I ended up uh, going to, uh, to TSN. I worked there as an editor. But, uh, but while I was at Fight Network, I learned a lot. And I actually owe a lot of where I'm at now to uh, you know, working at the Fight Network. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I got to work with Mauro Ranallo, who was there at the time. I got to work with John Pollock. Um, I got to work with John Ramdeen. And I actually got to work with Robin Black as well, too. And I actually started before Robin. Uh, so it was kind of neat to see Robin you know, start his first day on camera to see where he is now as, as one of the best MMA analyst in this game so that was kind of a neat journey for me to, to get to experience all that but I was exposed to the industry at a time when uh, you know all these big sites didn't exist I mean when I was at Fight Network I mean MMA fighting I think back then was MMA fan house uh, MMA junkie used to be UFC junkie the times were a lot different back then and Fight Network was really the only uh, network out there that was actually doing a lot of video content because back then it just wasn't as common it was all these little websites and, and websites that were mainly uh, focused on writing um, I remember like MMA Weekly and Sherdog being sort of the big deal back then so that was was kind of interesting I got to see the industry back then and then uh, when I went to TSN 
I kind of wasn't involved in MMA uh, for for about a, almost a year. Um, I was uh, I was I was you know working as an editor. I was working nights um, at TSN, and so and, and for those who don't know TSN, that's uh, in Canada. That's like the ESPN of, of Canada. So I, I worked there uh, just editing sports highlights and stuff. And it was I was on a contract, so it, it didn't uh, you know I, I I only had I was only there for a certain period of time. And then, uh, I, you know, I wanted to get back into MMA while I was doing this because I was missing it. I was missing cards. I wasn't able to watch every card. It was kind of a bummer. So I started doing some writing for TSN on the side on their website, and I actually got to go cover an event for TSN. And, and get this, believe it or not, my first event that I ever covered um, as a journalist was UFC 165, which was Jones and Gustafson. I mean, no joke. I was front row uh, for one of the best fights of all time. I was cage side for that one. And that was a good experience for me uh, early on to, to get my first UFC event sort of out of the way. Like even before I covered any local shows, the first event um, I covered, you know, for as an actual journalist uh, was for, for uh, the UFC, for UFC 165. So that was really cool. First event I ever covered though, um, I did some behind the scenes work for Fight Network. Uh, that was at uh, Bellator 47, the first show that they ever had in uh, in Canada. Actually, it was uh, Pat Kern and Ronnie Mann in the main event, believe it or not, at Casino Rama. So that was, uh, that, that was interesting. Uh, to get to do that is one of my first events. Um, but anyways, I'll wrap this up quickly because I don't want to bore you guys with all the details. But basically, after I left TSN, I went and worked at, a, at another network as an editor. And, and it was a nine to five job. So it was, a, it was easier for me to do stuff on the side um, as far as the MMA work goes. So that's what I did. I, I decided at that point I wanted to you know do this as a hobby on the side. And so I, I basically um, I, I started up a podcast. Um, I'm not sure if many of you know Adam Martin. Uh, he's a, a good friend of mine. He uh, lives here in Toronto. We actually met uh, through Twitter, and we decided to do a podcast together, and it was really neat. Um, this was back when, you know, there weren't a million podcasts. There was probably like 100 or 200 podcasts back then, but uh, still, we wanted to sort of fit our way in, and, and we did a podcast, and we had guests on, and it was a lot of fun, and I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, it got to the point where our podcast eventually got picked up for a website that I still work for now in MMA Odds Breaker, and that was the first sort of paid thing I ever got was having our podcast podcast featured there every week. So so the podcast started. Podcast was good. It was going really well. And uh, basically, um, at, at that point, uh, I, I kind of realized that, you know, I really like doing this and I wanted to sort of push it more. And I asked Oddsbreaker at the time if I could do more than just the podcast. So that sort of led to me covering regional MMA. And I, I knew that I remember, I believe it was Luke Thomas uh, or Damon Martin who said this, but, uh, you know, if you want to cover the sport, you got to find your niche. And for me, my niche early on was covering regional MMA. I could see that people weren't covering it too much. Um, I could see that I'm not, there's no way that I'm going to go and try and do the same, you know, big name interview as like an Ariel Hawani or Luke Thomas. I mean, it just didn't make sense. They're, people are going to watch their interview over my interview. So I knew that if I could at least cover something that wasn't being covered, then that way I'd sort of have my own niche. And uh, that's what I did. I went, you know, heavy to the paint on that. And I uh, started getting a lot of regional guys. I mean, with the podcast, we were getting, you know, some UFC and Bellator guys as well. But on my own, I was still getting a lot of regional fighters. And then that sort of led from the podcast, The Parting Shot, the audio version, to the video version. And that happened uh, in 2015, June 2015, when I started up my YouTube channel. Uh, so that, uh, that I, I saw, to be honest, uh, when I was working for Oddsbreaker, Frank Trigg was doing video interviews. And I thought, what a great idea. What, what an easy idea to do them over Skype. Video is a lot better than, than audio. People want to see the fighters. So um, Trigg was mainly doing uh, you know top-level guys. So I figured, why don't I try doing this for the regional scene? So that's what I did. And uh, I started my channel in June 2015, and I ended up, uh, you know, interviewing a bunch of regional guys. I got a few, um, you know, big name guys that there sorry guys that were going to to do uh, big stuff. Uh, the most notable one probably for me was Misha Serkinov. Uh, I remember interviewing him uh, right when he was making his UFC debut. I had known him from years before interviewing him. He had fought on the Canadian regional circuit and all that. So it was kind of neat to, uh, you know, talk to him uh, before he got in the UFC and obviously what he's been able to do now. And uh, as of uh, as of doing this uh, this uh, you know this podcast today, 
I counted, I've got 1,654 videos done. Now that might seem like a lot, but you have to remember that, you know, these videos are only 10, 15 minutes. So I was just um, doing as many as I could. My goal at that time, and my goal still to this day is I got to get my face out as, as anywhere I can. And, you know, the more fighters I interview, the more exposure I'm going to get. And yeah, some of the guys I've interviewed are never going to be go to the UFC. I, I totally get that. But there have been a handful of fighters that I have interviewed that have gone to the UFC. And when I want to do an interview with them, I have that contact. I have that sort of a point of contact. So that was sort of my strategy. And uh, the rest is sort of history. I mean, I basically, uh, you know, to sort of fast forward, the video interviews were going well. I ended up, uh, you know, getting a gig with Flow Combat on top of MMA Oddsbreaker. And now as of three weeks ago, I'm full time. I quit my day job in uh, in television. I was working in, uh, after I left TSN, I went to Discovery Channel. After Discovery Channel, I went to uh, what's called Rogers Digital, uh, which is a company here in Toronto that manages a bunch of television networks and their digital properties. So I was doing that for three years. And then uh, when my wife got pregnant, I had to make a decision, you know, was I going to stay? I had to get rid of something. I had to either get rid of the MMA side stuff or I had to get rid of uh, my full-time job and I crunched the numbers and I got a couple other freelance gigs. And what do you know? Three weeks ago, I went full-time. So that's where I am at this point today. And uh, it, it's been awesome so far. Uh, so far, so good, as they say. And uh, and I'm quite happy with the decision that I made. So that's why I'm able to do this. And uh, look, I, I have not made it yet. I'm, I'm not here to sit here and, you know, talk down to people or anything like that. I'm just here to sort of share my stories and everything. I certainly am uh, not at the point I want to be at yet. I mean, to me, making it would be me getting paid by one site, I'm full time and I get sent to events. That just hasn't happened yet. Um, I do go to events, but it's, it's out of my own pocket. I mean, I'm paying, you know, my own way. I've had one event, which has been covered by an outlet, but that's it. And that was earlier this year. And uh, that was actually at Bellator NYC Flow Combat. Nicely enough, uh, you know, paid my trip for that. So that's the only trip I've had covered. All the events I've gone to, I paid out of my own pocket. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but kind of feel like I've been talking about myself a lot. So uh, so that's sort of uh, where where I got into the industry and everything like that. And that's where I've ended up at now. And, and by the way, if, if people have questions, um, you know, I, I'll try and answer them on here after. I wanted to get to a bunch of questions that I was asked previously, but I'm the type of guy that if you're watching this right now, you know, send me a DM. My DMs are open. Uh, send me a tweet. Um, I will gladly answer any questions you guys might have. If there's anything here I'm talking about that you have any questions about. Um, but uh, I did get some questions earlier this week, and um, some of them I, I will I will get to all of them uh, right here, right now. Uh, Nick Baldwin, uh, who's a writer for Bloody Elbow and, and a friend of mine, um, he uh, he asked uh, his question, which was, uh, did you always want to cover MMA full-time? Was that always the long-term goal? I think initially when I was doing it, um, I actually thought that uh, I was going to sort of, you know, uh, go far in, in my television career. Um, I, I just started in 2014. I just started at Rogers and I was in digital media and I sort of felt like once I was at a big company, it just would sort of work itself out. And I kind of realized, you know, partway through uh, me working there, maybe about year one, year two, I kind of realized, you know what, this corporate lifestyle isn't for me. It was, uh, it was nice. Um, I had really good benefits. I got paid pretty well. Um, it was nine to five. It was very cushy. It was good, but I just felt like I wanted more. I, I wanted to be more stimulated. Uh, the job I was doing was was good, but um, I just wasn't that stimulated. Like I would go work an eight hour day at my job, and then I'd come home, and uh, you know, then I'd sort of feel satisfaction because I was doing these interviews. I was talking to fighters. I was really excited about the work I was doing. So I think I sort of figured out that um, at at a certain point, and uh, and I realized that that was sort of what stimulated me. So I think uh, that the full time thing initially wasn't on the radar, but uh, then it got to a point where I thought, yeah, I, I want to do this full time. And by the way, the way I thought I was going to do it was I'll just get hired by one outlet and, and they'll hire me full time. But here's the problem, guys. All these sites want writers. I'm not a writer. And that's one thing I should mention too. I realized that early on that 
I'm not going to be like a Rhodes Scholar. I'm not going to be like a Chuck Mendenhall or Sean Shadi or Kareem Zidane who are great at what they do in writing. I'm not that guy. I did go to school for, you know, I did a bit of writing in school, but just writing's never been my thing. So I kind of realized early on, um, you know, where my sort of my talent slide is in broadcasting and in podcasting and hosting and all that. And kind of what you see me doing right here, that's where I feel like I'm better at than I am a writer. So for me, um, I just wanted to focus on that. And if you look at a lot of the sites, those positions are few and far between. I mean, you look at junkie, it's, you know, John Morgan's their, their guy. Uh, he does a lot of on-camera stuff. You know, he does a lot of writing too. That's probably why he, he does sort of both. Uh, Ariel Hawani doesn't do much writing these days. He does a lot of uh, video stuff. Luke Thomas has a lot of video stuff. So there, there are very few spots, but you can name a bunch of writers that write for prominent sites and those jobs are just readily available, which is why too, when, you know, someone gets hired by a big site and, you know, I don't get hired, doesn't bother me because I know that they're looking for writers. I'm not, if they're looking for a broadcaster and they hire someone, fair enough. But for me, it's just, uh, for, for now, it's just, it's just the fact that, uh, you know, I, I do, I do broadcasting. I don't do, do writing per se. So, um, for me, I didn't think the options were there. And then I kind of figured out, Hey, I could just work for a bunch of different outlets and make it work. And that's what I've been doing so far. So, so far, so good. Um, his second question he asks is, uh, what's the best organization to cover in person and why? Um, to be honest, I've only covered, I mean, I've covered Bellator in the UFC. I've covered, I think, 11 events for the UFC. I've covered, I want to say, three or four for Bellator. Um, I've covered a couple local events. We had a Global Warriors show here uh, in 2015, I think, 14 or 15. I can't remember. Um, and uh, that was good. Um, so it's, you know, just a few local promotions, UFC and Bellator. Um, I'll say this. Uh, they, they both have their pros and cons. But, uh, but Bellator this past June in New York was the best uh, press experience I've ever had as far as covering an event. They were just really organized. I really liked the way they sort of treated the media as far as, you know, access and everything. Like, here's an example. At the UFC, when you do a press conference, you know, they pass the mic around. You get to ask your questions. That's that. Um, but at Bellator, at least at the New York one that they had, uh, they did the press conference. And then after... Bellator PR people were coming up to us and saying, hey, do you want someone for a one-on-one? -on -one? And that just would never happen with the UFC. Now I get it. It's different the way they sort of do things. Uh, you know, some of these fighters, uh, you know, with the UFC, they're a little bit more prominent. So I understand that, you know, maybe they don't have as much time. They have other commitments. That totally makes sense. But uh, I thought it was cool how Bellator and June really, uh, you know, let us get a lot of access. I got a lot of one-on-ones that day. If you go uh, check out Flow Combat's website, uh, for the New York card, I, I it was actually worked out great for us because uh, myself was was uh, on the trend in the trenches. Uh, Dwayne Finley was in the trenches as well, so Dwayne and I just split up and we got interviews with different fighters and we ended up getting a ton of content that day for the site because there was two of us uh, going down pat. Sorry, I'm uh, something in my throat. I got a little bit of a cold. My apologies to everyone there. So so that was that you know from that perspective, that event is still the best event I've ever covered from a media standpoint. And even throughout the evening and stuff, just the access was really good with Bellator. I'm not saying the UFC isn't. UFC has given me some great access as well, but Bellator, I find uh, that New York show really uh, has sort of set the bar for how good it could be to cover an event. So I was really, uh, really happy with that. Um, UFC, okay, this is the third question he asks. Uh, UFC doesn't care about the media too much. Should they or are they big enough where they don't have to? Um, I think the UFC doesn't have, I, okay, first off, I'll say, I think the UFC does care about the media to a certain degree because uh, there are, um, you know, like, like for example, uh, you know, leading up to fight weeks, they do do phoners with certain outlets. So they do care. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're putting the media out there. I know sometimes they're not as easily accessible as, as we'd like them to be. But uh, I'd say in general, I, I believe they, they do care a little bit. I think there's this whole notion because they've banned certain outlets so they don't care. Um, to some degree, that's true. But I think also they, they do care about certain outlets. Um, 
I think that if they banned a few outlets, I think they'd be okay because I think no matter what, you're going to A, have the local media always covering these events no matter where it is, unless it's somewhere really obscure. Like uh, I know, for example, when they had the Albany card last year uh, in December, because that was like a night or two before uh, the UFC uh, 206 card in Toronto, there was like no media there. So it was mainly just local media going there to cover the card. So in a situation like that, I could see them suffering. But um, if, if you're doing a show in Vegas and they banned like an MMA fighting, you know, MMA junkies still there. They've got the local Las Vegas media. I think they'd be okay. As scary as that sounds, I think that's the truth. I think they're, 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 they're doing uh, just okay. And not only that, but people forget that UFC has their own in-house sort of PR uh, media team, right? Like Megan Olivi does interviews. She gets exclusive access. Um, they've got, uh, they, they also have, you know, Matt Perino doing interviews. They have uh, broadcast partners that get exclusives. Um, I had Aaron Bronsetter on the show last week. You know, he gets exclusives because TSN in Canada is a broadcast partner of the UFC. So that's another thing to consider as well, as far as uh, the access they get. So trust me, they have a lot of outlets that are, that are willing to sort of step up to the plate and, uh, you know, cover events for them. But uh, yeah, I think they are big enough where if an outlet or two decided they wouldn't want to cover it, they, they'd be okay. They kind of control the, the eight ball sort of speaking on that one. My good friend, Douglas Geller, always appreciate this guy and his questions and his support. Uh, you go check out Doug on Twitter if you have the chance. Um, Doug asked me, what do you look for in a story? So he's referring to uh, my interviews, my fighter interviews. And uh, for me, I guess I just sort of have the mentality. I, um, I heard um, in Canada, we have a really uh, sort of uh, prominent uh, radio broadcaster by the name of Bob McCown. He hosts a show on the Fan 590, which is the number one sports show in Canada, basically. And it's called uh, Primetime Sports with Bob McCown. And Bob was on um, Richard Dietish's uh, sports media podcast, which is kind of what this show is based off of. Um, it's a show where they talk to media members about how they cover their specific industry. And uh, one of the things that Bob said on that podcast was, when I go into an interview, into an interview I, don't, um, I don't do any research. He has someone that does sort of, you know, the questions and the prep and stuff for him. But his mentality when he talks to someone for the very first time is, I want to pretend like I'm a fan and I'm just meeting this person for the same time. So to sort of answer Douglas's question, I do research. I don't not do research. I, I definitely do. But I certainly keep in mind when I'm doing a story that I try and go in with, you know, what, what do I want to know about this guy? What's interesting about this person? And basically, I, you know, if people watch my interviews, I do ask a lot of the same questions. But the reason for that is I'm hoping that in their answers, they're going to say something that's interesting and they're going to, uh, you know, give me sort of a line there and I can sort of run off it. Because I think a lot of the time when I'm doing these interviews, I'm not reading just straight off the questions. I'm kind of going off the cuff a lot of time. So, for example, if someone says that, hey, I'm uh, – and I get this a lot actually with certain fighters is, uh, hey, I work in the military or I used to work in the military. So, for me, my next question is, you know, how is – how do you balance that with training? How do you balance that with family life? You know, does that discipline carry over to mixed martial arts? You know, so for me, I, I really sort of – I go in kind of um, in, in a way just kind of expecting anything. I don't look for anything specific. But the, the goal of it is I want to know what is this person like outside the cage – how are they at home? How's their family life? And, and what type of fighter are they? Why are they doing this? What's, what's sort of the reason? I mean, I flat out had fighters that I've interviewed who said, I just do this as a hobby. I know I'm not going to the UFC, you know? So sometimes you get guys like that. And then you have other guys who, you know, swear that, you know, they, they read, um, they, they read, you know, the secret and all these things and, and they swear they're going to be world champions someday. And you know what? Good for them. They, they might be world champions someday. They might not, but they have the mentality that they're in this for the long haul. They want to do this because they believe they can be a world champion. And, you know, a lot of fighters will say, why are you in this sport if you're not going to be a world champion? I mean, I, I kind of agree. I mean, if you want to do something, why not do it at the best? So, um, so for me, I kind of just pick up on little patterns like that and doing this as long as I have, um, you know, I sort of recognize things, uh, you know, more and more, there's certain questions I'll know to ask. So to kind of answer your question, I just basically, um, 
I, I pick up clues when they, when they reveal things, you know, if someone says that, uh, you know, they got bullied in school, you know, well, there's a, there's an easy in, you know, what, did you take martial arts to defend yourself? Did you take it as a revenge thing? Like you want to show these people that you can still kick some ass. I mean, these are, these are things to sort of uh, consider and, and take into mind. So for me, it's a lot of improv and a lot of just uh, kind of picking up on what people said. Um, he says, what are his next question? He asks, uh, what are your exceptions of a guest or someone you're interviewing or expectations? He says, I totally read that wrong. What's going on today? Um, my expectations are really just, I want to know, what is this guy like at home? What's, his, what's he like outside the cage? What is he like during training camp? How intense is he? How much time is he putting into this? Is he a full-time fighter? Is he a part-time fighter? And then I want to know kind of where, where does he see their, you know, their career heading? Like I mentioned, is this person doing it for a hobby? Are they doing it full-time? Do they want to get to the UFC? Do they want to be a world champion? These are the things I sort of ask. So I, I just think in general, as long as I get sort of the crux of those sort of big questions, I think I've done my job. Because for the most part, when I get someone on, I, again, I go into it pretending like I'm a fan and I want to know everything I want to know about this fighter. And I try and do it in about 10 minutes. I don't like doing the interviews very long because I feel like in a lot of cases, you can kind of summarize it up. I don't need to go into, to, into depth about you know, certain stories, unless there's something interesting there. But a lot of times my interviews are you know, 10, 15 minutes. So that's sort of, uh, that's sort of where I, I kind of base things off of. And, and that's sort of the goal. If, if I can get... Those questions answered of sort of how are they outside the cage? How are they inside of the cage? What are their future plans? I think I've done my job correctly. Uh, what promotions do you, uh, do you think are easier to work with? Um, I mean, again, I, I think there's pros and cons to both promotions uh, as far as the big ones like Bellator and um, uh, the UFC. Um, you know, I've worked with Titan FC. They've been great. I've had a lot of access there. Uh, Brian Levick, uh, rest in peace, you know, great PR guy that I worked with for years over there. Um, you know, I've worked with uh, Shamrock FC. They've been good, uh, you know, over the years. Um, I've worked with a lot of the Access TV promotions. So LFA, uh, the, the guy who runs LFA, uh, this PR guy by the name of Ryan Bevins, he's, uh, he, he's the best. Um, I really, really like working with him. He does a really good job of, you know, just being organized with, with the fighters and everything. Um, you know, Ed Cap, I got to give a shout out to Ed Cap here. Ed Cap, uh, for, for you guys who don't know, I'm going to get him on the show at some point. He is the, he's one of the best PR guys I've ever worked with. I've worked with him for like three years. Ask any media member about Ed Cap. He's, he's one of the best. He does a lot of uh, different, uh, you know, PR stuff for, for different uh, promotions and different uh, managing companies and things like that. But uh, Ed does some work with CES, uh, which is a Rhode Island-based uh, promotion on Access TV. And, uh, you know, they're, they're great too. So I think, um, you know, I, I think all of them have their pros and cons, but I'd say the, the regional promotions are usually sort of the best because I think they appreciate it a little bit more. They're a little bit more organized. Uh, with the UFC, I kind of have to play ball with, you know, what time they have. Or Bellator, for example, I, I don't mind this, but it, you know, it just shows you the differences. Like Bellator, what they'll do is they'll send out an email and they'll say, hey, these guys are available from this time. Can you do it? Well, you know, on the regional scene, I don't have to do, I don't have to worry about that. I give them my schedule and I say, hey, listen, this is when I'm available. Can you guys fit this in? So that's sort of the difference there. Um, but, but that's understandable because I, I know a lot of these, you know, big name fighters, they have sort of their own commitments and everything else like that. So, um, so, so that's also something to sort of consider there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, again, they have pros and cons, but I'd say the regional promotions are a little bit easier to work with, especially the ones on, on Access TV. They've, they've been uh, really, really great to work with. Um, he says, what do you see the future of covering the sport like? Well, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think we're seeing a lot more, and we've seen this for the last couple of years, uh, videos is becoming very big. Um, I'm, I'm even noticing a lot more people doing video interviews, which when I was doing it a couple of years ago, there weren't too many people doing it. I mean, Frank Trigg was doing it. Karen Bryant was doing it with her show, MMA Heat. Uh, but there weren't too many people doing Skype interviews. And now it seems like everyone's doing that along with the YouTube live stuff. And even right here, we're doing the Hangouts thing. So that, that's obviously uh, something that, that's uh, you know, sort of happening. 
Um, I, I don't really know what the future is going to hold. I, like I said, I just say that, you know, there, I, th I think we'll see more video content. I would hope the long forms and the written stuff still stays intact. I think there will be a place for that because, you know, it takes a couple minutes to watch a video. Whereas if you have an article, you can quickly uh, sort of browse through it if you want, you know, some immediate results or anything like that. Um, as far as the UFC goes, I think it's still going to be business as usual. Who knows what's going to happen with this Ali Act and all that, if that's ever going to affect the media or anything like that. They have the MMAJA, which is the Mixed Martial Arts Journalism Association. Is that going to hold any weight in the future of the sport as far as, you know, journalist rights, as far as, you know, maybe issues if, uh, you know, like, uh, like, like we had Dana White, for example, ban Ariel Hawani from uh, doing, for working for Showtime. Um, and, uh, you know, or he, he put a word in there to say that. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy because people felt like the MMAJA should have stepped up and said something about that. And they didn't. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think this sport is still very young, especially from a media perspective. Um, one of the things that I don't know, I'm sure people realize this, but a lot of the people who cover the sport don't have journalism degrees or journalism background. I mean, I have a communications degree, but, uh, but I, I don't have a, you know, a full out, you know, journalism uh, degree or anything like that. But again, I'm doing broadcasting and I went to broadcasting school. So I feel like that sort of counts, but there's a lot of guys who cover the sport that just aren't, they, they, they don't have that journalism background. And I think that's where sometimes you see people run into problems or they make mistakes because they don't, they didn't learn, you know, ethics or anything like that as far as that, that goes. So um, as far as, as far as the future goes, um, I see, you know, the coverage being somewhat similar. Who knows what's going to happen with the UFC and Bellator. And as far as, uh, you know, things like the MMAJA, who knows? I mean, it'd be great to see more rights for, for journalists, but I, I, I'm not, I, I don't know yet. I haven't seen too much change at this point. So it's hard to say where, uh, you know, things are sort of, sort of going to happen there. Uh, Douglas also asks, um, how can athletes develop a following and work with the media better? I think um, I, this kind of drives me nuts, or I, I guess I really just don't understand this, but I never understand fighters who don't have a social media. Um, you know, like I know fighters that don't have a Twitter, or they don't have an Instagram, or they don't have a Facebook, or, you know, they, or maybe they have one and they don't have the other. Like it's free. Why not take advantage of free advertising? Um, I, I think the best way the athletes can develop a following is to just be interactive. Um, I, I look at someone like Chase Sherman, um, who, you know, has a great manager, Matt Weevil, who, uh, you know, is doing, is helping him with a lot of his social media. And I know Chase is doing some himself, but Chase has, I don't know how many followers now. It's in, you know, 10,000, I think, or something like that. And this was a guy who was a fight away from being cut from the UFC. And now he's sort of been like this cult favorite because he tweets all the time and he interacts with his fans. Elias Theodoro is really good with his fans. He interacts with them and, you know, he's on Twitter all the time. I think interacting with, with media personalities and fans is, is a key thing. I think posting daily updates, there's a lot of fighters who will post videos of them training or, you know, doing certain things, maybe cutting weight. I know Desmond Green, for example, who's in the UFC, a lightweight fighter. He does a really good job of sort of posting video updates from his training sessions and everything like that. So I think it's just being interactive because you know what, like this is free. It's free to do social media. So why not take advantage of it? If you're, if you're a sponsor, uh, you'd be more likely to, to go with a guy that, that has, um, you know, a lot of social media stuff, like whether they're interactive with, with fans and everyone, or they have video content that they can show people. Guess what? Everyone's got a smartphone. It's very easy to do as far as, you know, uploading video and, and putting stuff together and, and making it all happen. I mean, it's, 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 you know, and, and if you're not tech savvy, let's say you're completely, you know, back in the stone ages when it comes to that stuff, get a friend of yours to do it. Get someone to take over your social media. A lot of the big name athletes like George St. Pierre, you think he runs his Twitter? Not a chance. He has someone doing it for him. So I, I think it's just a very easy way to do that. And as far as working with the media, if you're a regional fighter and, uh, and, and you're, you're, you're on the come up, um, don't try and get on Ariel Hawani's show. That's not going to happen. Be realistic here. Talk to people who are starting out. Find sites that are covering regional MMA. Go to like an MMA Today or an MMA Sucka or, you know, sites that are, that are mainly focused on, on everything, not just focused on the UFC or Bellator. Um, find those writers, hit them up, say, hey, would you be interested in having me on the show? I know when I was starting out, 
I had people, I'll actually, I'll tell you this story, which is kind of interesting. Um, a couple of years ago when I was starting out my podcast, I had, um, someone who was working with, uh, with, with a fighter. Um, and they were like, listen, I, I have this female fighter. Um, she's, she's going to be on the ultimate fighter. Would you be interested in interviewing her? And I remember at the time I was kind of nervous cause I had never really interviewed any, uh, women's MMA fighters. And I just, you know, I, at the time I was kind of like, well, I don't know a lot about, you know, regional fighters or whatever. This is before I sort of made the dive into regional MMA. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't know if I should do it. And I was like, ah, oh, what, what, what could go wrong? So I did it. And who was that fighter? That was Randa Marcos. Now, we know how popular Randa Marcos has been in Canada. And, of course, she was very notable on the, her season of The Ultimate Fighter. And that worked out great because I interviewed Randa before she went on the show. I interviewed her after the show. And I've been following her career throughout. And I, got, I still got her number. I know if I you know, send her a text or an email, I'm going to get an interview with her. So stuff like that helps. Like, just take advantage of situations like that. And don't be a snob. I think especially if you're doing interviews, um, do you know, interviews with, with fighters that, that don't do a lot of interviews. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Find guys that are that are on the come up. You know, do, do go that route. I see so many guys trying to interview top level fighters, and it's like, why? Do you think if you're trying to do an interview, let's say by some miracle, you tweet a fighter on Twitter and they go, Hey, sure, I'll do the interview, and you do the interview, and you know you're you haven't done a lot of interviews, and maybe you're not the best at you know being on camera, or you know m- maybe not the best at writing, and you do it. Yeah, a lot of people are probably going to see it, but do you think people are going to look at your interview or are they going to look at the one that Ariel Hawane or Luke Thomas did? They're going to look at the one that Ariel and Luke Thomas did. And it's, guess what? It's going to be better written or it's going to be a better on-camera presentation because those guys are veterans. I don't get why people are trying to shoot for the stars there. I think that's a bad way to go about things. I think if you're starting out, you should go for those up-and-comers. And, and listen, regional MMA, women's MMA, uh, they can always use more coverage. Overseas MMA, you know, go cover ACB. Go cover these other promotions that are overseas. I think, I think that is something for sure that, that can definitely be done. And, and if you're a fighter and you're fighting on these promotions, reach out to media members or find a PR person that can help you do that. That, that would be my suggestion as far as for fighters is, um, you know, really making a point of uh, being interactive. And, and I know a lot of regional fighters, they work a full-time job. Listen, go on in the morning before work you know, tweet a couple things saying, Hey, these are my picks for 217 or, you know, whatever, like just be interactive with fans. It's easy to do and it's free work. All right. Wow. We're already half an hour in. I hope I haven't bored everyone yet. Uh, Again, trying to be informative here, not trying to talk about myself so much per se. Um, I got a a bunch of questions here from uh, Alex Scafidi, who uh, is, is, has been a great supporter of mine. I got to give her a big shout out. Uh, Most people know her on Twitter. She's uh, she's really great and really interactive as well. So I'm going to try and get through most of these. Uh, I think I've answered some of them already. Uh, So we'll get through that. And then uh, I'll sort of at the end, um, if I get through, this is sort of the last batch of questions at the end, I'll kind of give some, uh, some things that I've noticed in the industry that I think uh, people would sort of benefit from. So let's, let's go uh, 
with the first question. She says, uh, growing up, uh, did you have an interest in MMA as a kid, whether it be a viewer or a practitioner? Um, so I guess, uh, you know, I just mentioned the pro wrestling thing, but actually most people uh, probably know this if you follow me. Uh, Bloodsport's my favorite movie of all time, and I definitely remember watching that as a kid uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And so I think I was kind of always into um, combat sports. Like wrestling sort of came later, like in my teen years. But I think when I was younger, you know, I cert- like I played hockey, you know, there's certainly appeal of, you know, physical sports. Um, I definitely was playing a lot of the, you know, the, the, the beat em up video games like Street Fighter and, and Mortal Kombat and all that. So I think I was always sort of into like the aggressive stuff. And uh, that, that's sort of where it started. And, you know, I, obviously Bloodsport is like my favorite movie. I watch it every Christmas and uh, don't ask me why I watch it every Christmas, but it's just sort of a tradition I've had for years. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I guess for me, Bloodsport was sort of the first thing. And, you know, I watched Ninja Turtles, the cartoon as a kid, like a lot of the action stuff. So I'd say it sort of started with Bloodsport and, and all that and obviously the video games too. Uh, when you, her next question, when you did take an interest in the sport, what was the first MMA event that captured your attention from which organization? Um, First card I ever watched, I think live. Let me look up the number here so I don't sound like a dummy. It was the Rich Franklin. Okay, so here's the thing. When I watched season one of The Ultimate Fighter, the guy I really liked on that show, I was kind of, by the way, for those who have watched the season, I was big into um, on the green team. Uh, which was Randy Couture's team. I kind of felt like they were the underdogs throughout the whole season. They would lose all the – this was back when the Ultimate Fighter did challenges. So the, the, the team would always lose the challenge, and it was, they were coached by Randy Couture. And I, uh, I was really drawn to Chris Liebman on that show for some reason, even though he was kind of a screw-up on the show. But, uh, but for me, um, I, I really liked the green team. So I, I liked all, a lot of the fighters on that green team. And I really like Nate Quarry on that show because uh, he uh, he was like a good leader in you know in the room and he was one of the talented guys. And uh, for those who haven't seen the season, Nate got injured on the show and didn't actually get to fight on the show. Uh, so there was kind of always this what if. Um, but but anyways, after the show, Nate was healthy and the UFC gave him a fight anyways. They actually on that season they actually gave all the fighters one fight in the UFC, uh, which which was interesting. And um, so, uh, so actually, the, to answer your question, um, I was following Nate Quarry's career quite closely after uh, after the Ultimate Fighter, and he went on a bit of a run there. Um, he uh, let me just look at this here. I'm trying to remember what it was. So he beat Loden Sinkade at the Ultimate Fighter one finale, beat Shoney Carter, and then beat Pete Cell. This was back in the day when you'd have three fights, and if you won three in a row, you get a title shot. Believe it or not. And I remember at the time it was kind of controversial because, if I'm not mistaken, Matt Linlin I think probably deserved the title shot over Quarry. I don't know if he was still with the organization, but uh, but anyways. Long story short, um, that was the first event I watched, distinctly remember watching, was UFC 56 full force. Uh, it was Rich Franklin and Nate Quarry. Rich Franklin was the uh, middleweight champion at the time, and uh, Nate Quarry was uh, the challenger. And if people remember that broadcast, Joe Rogan didn't do the broadcast. Uh, it was Goldberg and some other guy who escapes me at the moment. But um, the guy, there's, there's the famous call from that, uh, that, that show and where, where uh, Franklin knocks out Nate Quarry. And he goes, it's a first round knockout. And it was by some guy. I can't, I don't know why I can't remember this guy's name, but he did it for like one show. It was like Rogan couldn't be there for some reason. I don't remember why, but this was way before like, you know, Kenny Florian or Anik or any of those guys. It was some other guy who did the commentary with, with Goldberg. And so that's why um, they ended up uh, doing that. So, um, so that was the first event that I, that I ever watched. Um, while I've got this here, I'm just going to make sure that uh, this is actually running and uh, that nothing is going uh, sturdy or anything like that. Um, so, and by the way, I also realize uh, for those who are watching the replay, I really appreciate it. For those who are watching live, I really appreciate it because uh, right now um, the George St. Pierre interview with Hawani is going on right now. So I really appreciate that. Um, it looks like right now, 
Yeah. Okay. We are live. We're good. Okay. I just checked, just making sure that that's all good. Um, where did she start? Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, so, so yeah, it was, um, it was UFC 56. And then from there it was basically, um, pride. And, uh, I, I watched pride. I remember the, the Dan Henderson Vandalay Silva card. I watched shortly after that. That was the one where so could you upset little Nog still the biggest, uh, odds upset in MMA history, uh, where he knocked out a uh, little Nog in the first round. Um, so it sort of led from there and it's sort of, um, uh, sort of, sort of spinballed from there as far as, uh, as far as all that goes. So yeah, UFC 56 was the first one. And then I kind of went back and watched older ones and everything like that. But, uh, but that, that sort of uh, took it. Uh, she then asked, when did that interest grow into wanting to cover the sport as part of your career? Well, I think because I always wanted to be in broadcasting, like I want to be a hockey broadcaster. I think just naturally I wanted to, um, to, to, to cover MMA. And I remember, uh, writing a blog back in the day, which, uh, God hope, I don't think, it, I don't think it exists anymore. I think I called it unanimous decision or something like that. It was one of those blog spot blogs. And I just write like opinion pieces on upcoming cards. And I did that for years. I didn't get paid anything. I just did it to, you know, try and write. And I'm sure the writing on there and the punctuation was awful, but, Back then, there was no YouTube, really. Like, YouTube wasn't that prominent. And so I was just writing, uh, you know, opinion pieces and stuff. And I, I don't even remember where I shared it back then because there was no Twitter. Uh, Facebook, I don't think you could share stuff back then. Facebook was just like, um, you just could write on people's walls. But I don't think you could share links back then. That just shows you how dated I am. Um, so, yeah, so that's when I started doing it. She says, uh, which, uh, what was the first MMA event you attended live? Uh, Bellator 47, um, which uh, I believe was the first event in Canada. I might be getting that mixed up. There was two Bellator cards I went to at, at Rama in the Bjorn Rebney regime. Um, I, I think there was like, I forget how many there were total, but I went to the very first one, which I think was was Man and uh, Curran. Uh, so so that, that I answered that earlier. I believe that's the one if it's not. And there was another Canadian event. I apologize. But it was definitely the first ever Bellator event that went to Canada. That was the first event I went to. I was doing behind the scenes stuff for Fight Network. I was actually doing video blogs, which again, if you go on Fight Network's YouTube page, you can find them there. You can hear me in the background asking questions. Um, what was the first UFC event you attended uh, and covered as media? Uh, UFC 165, I already answered that for TSN. Now that you've invested in your career path full-time, will you be traveling more? Or do you hope to travel more to events to cover them live? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Um, so while I am doing this full-time, I am also a father, and it's very difficult for me to leave because as right now, my son's only you know two and a half months old. And so if I leave, that means my wife's by herself. And uh, we don't have... Like my parents, I grew up in Vancouver, so like my family's not even here. And then my, my wife's family, uh, they live about an hour away. So it's really difficult to go and cover events because she needs me here to, to help out with the baby. So right now, um, no, uh, I, I'm not going to be covering more events, although I am going to UFC 218 uh, in December. And how I had to swing that was I had to get my mother-in-law to come um, stop by and help out with my wife for a couple of days so I could go do that. And then the week after, I'm covering TKO 41 in Montreal at the Bell Center. And in order to do that, I just got my wife to come with me because she has family in Montreal. So we're, I'm going to go cover the event and then I'm going to have that on the side. So, I mean, the plan is once my son gets older and, and, you know, I have a little bit more as far as resources, I will try and cover more events. But as it stands right now, I'm still paying my own way for these events. Um, I don't know if people know this, but the reason I still freelance with Sportsnet is because I'm almost guaranteed credentials every single UFC event I go to. The deal I have with them is they don't pay me, but I do freelance work for them, and I can use them as, as a name to go cover events. Now, here's the nice thing about it is I get to do video interviews for them. They usually transcribe my interviews for me. They uh, you know, they, they put it on this huge site. Like Sportsnet's this huge network in Canada. It gets a lot of exposure. And so I, I pay my own way, but then I also get to keep the content on my YouTube channel, make a little bit of ad revenue off that. So that's sort of how I swing it that way. But uh, I'm going to try and go to 
to more events once uh, sort of the uh, the you know that my son grows up a little bit more and I'm not as uh, not needed as much as at home. But uh, it would be great if I could get an outlet that would you know pay my, my full way uh, as it stands now. So so for for now uh, the plan is to to go to these events and, and get paid. I do have a couple outlets now, Fightful, Fightful being one of them, where I can go to events and, and I'll actually get paid you know per content, which is good. So I make a little bit of money off that, but uh, still not enough to cover the entire trip. But the way I look at it is like it's an investment. You know, like I went to International Fight Week this year and I got uh, you know I stayed in Vegas. For, for like a week and uh, you know I, I got to do two cards and just think of all the content I got and just think of all the fighters I got to interact with I, I think it's important to really invest in your career and uh, really make a point of uh, you know being visible and, and that's why I really had to convince my wife for this one for 218 to be like look I'm full time now I got to be visible at these events um, so it's important for me to be there so I will be at UFC 218 I'll be getting there on the Wednesday I'll be doing all the media stuff that week um, and, and that's that so yeah the plan would be to, to go to more events but for now uh, at, at the present moment I, I think after this December stuff, I think it probably won't be until maybe spring, summer. I'll definitely do International Fight Week again, though, next year, though. That, that's sort of the plan there. Uh, how do you balance having a newborn family and social life and work? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making it work. You know, my wife's great. Uh, we work really well together. One of the things I do is I, I still, I still, even with uh, the fact that I'm doing this, I'm my own boss and I make my own hours, I still get up at 5 a.m. every morning. I get up, I do a bit of work, I go to the gym every morning, and then I take my son for two hours while my wife sleeps give my son back. And then I work basically from about 10 till six. Most days, uh, some days I, you know, maybe I do less work or maybe I take the day off or whatever, but that's usually how it works. And then I spend another two hours with my son at night. So, um, I'm putting in the time as much as I can social time with my friends, few and far between. I got to say that because, uh, you know, especially doing this job, I got to be home all the time and stuff and, you know, being ready to do interviews. And sometimes fighters can't do interviews during the day. So I have to do them at night. So there, there's kind of trick, uh, you know, stuff like that. But um, for now, things are working. Um, you know, the fact that I get to work from home, uh, my wife and my son right now are in the other room right now. So I'm lucky to do that. Like it's kind of, that's kind of tough in a way. Um, but, but, you know, I'm making it work as they say. She says, how do you keep your per personal biases as a fan separate from the work you do covering for covering the sport? Do you find it hard to do so? This is a good question because I see this happen a lot with uh, journalists where they are clearly biased towards a fighter or they start to cheerlead. I hate that stuff. Um, for me, I just think the biggest thing is, you know, I try and really like if a fighter has a good performance, I'll acknowledge it. I'm not going to say good luck. I used to do that stuff when I first started and looking back, it's very cringeworthy to say, you know, good luck to a fighter. You know, I might say some things in private, um, you know, that, that, you know, I just, cause I think it's unprofessional as a journalist to go out and say something, uh, you know, that that's clearly biased towards a fighter. Cause if you do that, then no one's going to trust you. You're going to have no credibility. So I make a point of, you know, not, um, being biased towards a fighter. And I think in general, I'm pretty fair. I mean, I've interviewed fighters where, you know, I know them really well. I've interviewed them for years and they come off a brutal loss and we have to talk about the loss. I feel like I'm asking fair questions. So I think for me, I just have to remember at the end of the day that this is for people watching. It's not for me. It's not for the fighter. Um, and I have, I have a job to do and that job is to be, you know, balanced as much as I can. So I think that's part of it is, uh, you know, just always keeping that kind of, uh, in mind. And, and it's not hard to do because I think for me, um, you know, I, 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 you just, you have to take all the criticisms. I, I remember, um, Eric Spicely. I've known Eric since, uh, you UFC middleweight. I, I, I've known Eric dating back to when he fought for CES. And I remember, um, I, I picked, uh, you know, we do these staff picks on MMA Ozbreaker and I picked against him. And that was the one where Eric beat, uh, Thiago Santos. And, you know, Eric gave me a hard time about it. But the, the reality is like, someone asked me my picks. I have to give my realistic opinion. And that's that. And you're going to get stuff like that. You're going to get people who are upset or I've had it where fighters have gotten mad at me at what another fighter said about them in an interview. Again, I'm not saying that another fighter is. So you have to expect criticism and you have to have a thick skin, I think, because that, that stuff's going to happen. So no, I don't find it hard to do, but, but that's that. 
Uh, what is your five-year goal in terms of your career? Where do you want to go and accomplish? Five years, I want to be doing this full-time for one outlet and I want to be going to events. That would be the dream goal right there. And then maybe I do that for a couple of years and see how that goes and see if I still enjoy it. Because listen, uh, John Morgan, I, I, you know, I, I envy his job. I wish I could do it. But also, I see how much time he's away from his family and uh, that, that seems pretty rough. So if I could get a healthy balance of, of you know, covering events or something, that would be sort of the perfect thing. But uh, for now, um, five years... Uh, that, that would be great is if I could get an outlet that could, you know, I could work for one outlet or I'm doing, you know, multiple outlets, but I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to get paid and sent to events. Cause that's really, I love doing the Skype interviews from home. It's awesome. It's great getting to talk to different fighters, but I love, 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 love covering events live. That's my favorite thing in the world. And, uh, yeah, nothing beats that. That is the pinnacle for me as far as doing why I love doing this is because I get to cover events sometimes. And that that's, that's the perfect thing. So five years, hopefully I'm doing that 10 year goal. Wow. Um, I guess hopefully I'm still doing this. Hopefully I still have the passion for it. Hopefully I still love it in 10 years. Um, it's hard to say. I hope this lasts as long as it can. I hope I still, still really enjoy doing the sport. That's, that's, you know, that, that's, that's a, that's a big thing for me is, uh, you know, being passionate about what I do. Maybe I, maybe I don't like doing this in 10 years. Maybe I do. I don't know. So I think, I think the goal is to just be happy in my career, no matter what I do, whether it's in mixed martial arts, whether it's covering the sport, whether it's, uh, you know, doing the journalism thing. I don't know. I think uh, in 10 years, I just want to still be happy doing what I'm doing and making money. That's one thing I'll, that'll never stop is I always have this drive to, you know, make money and support my family and support, you know, everyone around me that that will always be there. I will always want to make money and that's never going to go away. So whatever I'm doing, I'll be busy. And, you know, people talk about my work ethic, but it's just a second nature to me in, in general. I need to be active. I need to be doing stuff. So that's sort of a main thing. Uh, she then asked, what's your background in education? Um, my background is uh, I have a communications degree from Carleton University in Ottawa with a minor in political science, which I've never used. And then I have a two-year broadcasting diploma from Algonquin College in Ottawa, um, which, uh, which I, I've used a lot of because I learned how to edit there. I learned how to do a bunch of other stuff too. Um, so it was very beneficial uh, going to do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, think, I think as long as you're – I don't know if you necessarily need a degree to cover this sport. Um, I think it helps. I think it's more important to have good mentors. I think to find people that you respect, you know, if you're seeing someone like a Chuck Mendenhall or someone like that, that, you know, Dwayne Finley, someone like that, that, uh, I, I think those are important if you want to cover this sport, because, um, you know, sometimes you, there's certain things that they teach you in school that you can't, that, that you, there, there's certain things that they don't teach you in school that you have to sort of learn on your own. So that's something as well. So yeah, for me, I, I do have a communications degree and a, a broadcasting diploma as well. Uh, what are your criticisms about the education in relation to your field? Um, well, mine was, uh, the reason I did two degrees is because in university in Ottawa, um, when I went to Carleton, it was all theory and I was bored to tears. I, I, I could not wait to get my degree. I, I couldn't believe I signed up for this fraud of a degree because, um, I just had no interest in the theory part of it. I wanted to do hands-on stuff. And when I went to college, I got to go do that. So that, that was really awesome. And by the way, so people don't get confused. I'm from Vancouver. I went to high school there and then I moved to Ottawa to go to university because I got a scholarship and that's why I stayed in Ottawa and then I moved to Toronto, but that's why I'm a Canucks fan. I'm not a Canucks fan because I'm a sadist and I like watching teams lose. I'm a Canucks fan because I grew up there. So just FYI on that. Uh, perfect timing. I got about 13 minutes left and I kind of wanted to get to um, some some sort of tips that, that I would sort of point out. And uh, again, this is coming from a place of uh, these are things that I've experienced in the industry. I'm not an expert. I'm not someone who, uh, you know, is at the pinnacle of this. I, I'm someone who's, you know, been doing this full time for three weeks. And, and there's some things I've noticed that I, I'd like to give a little bit of advice to. The big one, which I've kind of already talked about on here is, uh, is finding your niche. Um, again, regional MMA, women's MMA always needs more love. 
don't try and shoot for the stars and try and get these, you know, big name fighters. I see people all the time going, I saw someone the other day tweeting Max Holloway saying, Hey, would you, can I just grab 10, 15 minutes with you? And it was a guy who works for, you know, a website that's not really prominent. It's like, dude, maybe he does do that interview with you. Maybe there's that once in a lifetime shot, but that's not going to do you any good because if you do that, you're probably not that great of a writer or that great of a broadcaster at that point. So it's kind of like, you're just, you know, there's no benefit to it other than you're going to get more people looking at it. But do you really want people looking at your work now when it's not really that great? You should focus on doing the, the, you know, the, the, the lower tier guys. So find your niche. Also find what you want to do. Are you an analyst? Um, which, by the way, I think if you're going to be an analyst in MMA, as far as you know, breaking down technical stuff, I think you should train. I don't train, but I'm not an analyst. I don't claim to be an analyst. I'm not going to sit here and talk to you guys about you know uh, how a punch landed or anything like that. I'm more interested in the storylines and, and all these other things. I, I'm, a, I'm a host. I'm a journalist slash host. I, I get some information out of the fighters, but I also want to know the fighters too. So that that's sort of where I come. But I think if you're going to be an analyst, you got to train and you got to and you got to have um, you know people that uh, you know that that's. Uh, that can teach you stuff. And, and I think that that stuff's really important. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second, uh, which is kind of my next point actually, which is uh, mentors. Very important to have mentors in the sport. One of my mentors is Dwayne Finley. who's my boss at Flow Combat. Uh, he's great. Now, Dwayne's a writer. He's not a broadcaster, but Dwayne has a very good ability to tell a story. And Dwayne's been in the sport long enough where, you know, he's someone that uh, I can certainly learn a lot from as far as how the industry's gone and everything like that. And I talk to Dwayne on a regular basis and uh, you know, I, I trust his judgment when it comes to stuff. And I think he's, he's good on camera too. I feel like Dwayne sort of called me uh, the, the hybrid of between me between him and Ariel Hawani, where he says that, you know, I'm, I, I'm professional, but I'm also, you know, I, I can get that side of people out where it's more kind of laid back and stuff, which is a great compliment by the way. But uh, you know, I, I don't know what I consider myself. I just say that I'm uh you know, someone who tries to get to know the fighters, but I do have a level of professionalism, but it's important to have mentors. Um, you know, I mentioned, you know, growing up, Don Taylor was someone who, you know, wasn't a mentor to me, but he was someone that I certainly strive to be like, you know, I look at someone like Luke Thomas. I think he does a great job on camera. I think John Morgan does a good job on camera. Um, I think there's some journalists who do on camera work who are awful. And I think that there's this arrogance with a lot of writers where they think they can just go on camera and make it work. And they're not very good in my opinion, but you know, I'm not here to throw any stones. I just think that uh, if you want to be better at your craft, you got to have people that you watch and you got to improve and, and always take feedback. Um, you know, I, I, I read a lot of the comments I get. Sure, I'll get the odd one that says you suck. You know, that's not a very good uh, feedback thing for me. I, I want to learn exactly how um, I suck. You know, someone told me the other day that I leave my mouth open too much with my guests. Fair enough. Point noted. That's something that, you know, I try and keep in mind going forward. One of the things I try and do too is I try and smile at my guests because, uh, you know, I'm, look, I'm like right now I'm staring at this camera. It's tough to stay still for that long. But uh, when people are watching this, they want to know that you're engaged with your, your subject. It's so easy to just sit there and frown. Unless, of course, it's a, you know, it's a topic like you're talking about someone dying. But in general, you should try and smile. So that's something I try and keep in, keep in the mind. Um, so, yeah, mentors, very, very, very important. And taking feedback is very important. I know people who can't take feedback, who they think, it, how dare they say that I need to do this or do that. Take every little bit of feedback you can and make sure it's from someone you respect. If it's some nobody who you don't respect and they're giving you uh, criticism, you know, don't listen to them. Maybe they do have something important to say, but I think it's important to take in all criticism and sort of learn from that. That That's sort of important. And to this day, I get criticism and I, I'm not perfect. I'm not an expert and I'm always learning. And, and that's something that, you know, I try and be mindful of when I'm doing my interviews. And if, let me tell you this too. If I have a bad interview or I screwed something up, um, you know, it, it, it eats at me and I want to know, I want to make sure that doesn't happen again. So I'm always very mindful of things like that. I mentioned it, stop shooting for the stars. If you're, if you're getting into interviews um, and, and that's sort of your thing, uh, that, that's sort of your niche or whatever. Um, don't go for the big name fighters. I mean, it helps getting one here and there, but I think you're better off covering guys that are going to give you better access. I mean, go talk to, 
um, you know, the guys in LFA or, uh, you know, see like all these regional promotions or go overseas. And a lot of these guys have Twitter or Facebook. Um, I don't think it's, I think for regional fighters, it's not a big deal if you try and contact them that route because, or, or find out who their manager is or find out if someone interviewed a regional fighter, ask another journalist how they, how they went about getting them. I do that all the time. I mean, I think it's, I think that's a professional way of doing things. Tweeting someone in public saying, Hey, can I get you on the show? That's unprofessional in my opinion. I'm not saying I haven't done it, but I, I, I avoid it as much as I can. I, I try and go the, sort of a behind the scenes route. I think that's very professional. So yeah, don't try and get these big name fighters. If you're going to do interviews, start with the, the regional and sort of the up and comers and stuff like that. Um, kind of getting back to what I was saying about, you know, finding your niche. Decide, are you going to be an interview guy? Are you going to be an analyst? Are you going to be a writer? Are you going to cover the news beat? If you're going to be the news beat guy, fair enough. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle when you're doing just plain news, but it's an important skill to have because guess what? When a junkie, you know, uh, wants to replace someone and they need someone to do hard news on a regular basis and they want someone who already knows how to write and has the formatting down, you're a good candidate for that. I'm not a hard news guy. I do a bit of daily news, but that's not really what I'm known for. Um, so for me, if someone, you know, position opened up, I wouldn't go for it. I'd want to go for something where I get to interview fighters because my niche is interviewing fighters. It's not doing the writing stuff. Um, uh, also I see people doing a lot of like, you know, predictions, podcasts and stuff like that. I guess that's fine. I mean, if you want to do that stuff here and there, it's, it's good, but just keep in mind that when you're doing that, you're going up against all the other prediction podcasts. And there's like a million of them, whether it's people doing specifically about betting, where there's doing people specifically about the technicalities of, you know, how this fight's going to win or this and that. I mean, there's so many out there. I can name 20 podcasts that literally do that. There's guys who do video breakdowns. There's lots of people who do that. That's a common thing now. I see people breaking down fights and trying to use visuals. That's great. Video is always good. It's tough because a lot of these bigger promotions don't let you use video. So you got to use photos. It's a little bit different to try and sort of analyze that. So just keep in mind that when you're doing that, you're going up against these other people. I think it's good for people. I, you know what I don't see enough of? I don't see fight breakdown videos for regional or women's MMA fighters. Do those. That's unique. No one's doing that right now. That might be a good idea to do. Um, I talked a bit about Twitter and, and Facebook. Um, just, yeah, don't be a fanboy. I see fighters. I, I see journalists defend fighters. I see journalists, you know, good luck, bro, this and that, I, that stuff. I don't, I don't think it's very good. I'm um, taking pictures with fighters. Big no, no. I've seen, that's actually one of the rules in the MMAJ is you, you can't take photos with fighters. Don't do it. If you're at an event, very unprofessional. If you don't want to call yourself a journalist and you want to just be a fan, just kind of writing about the sport, fair enough. But if you want to call yourself a journalist, don't take photos with fighters. Trust me, Gegard Mousasi is one of my favorite fighters. I would have loved to have taken a photo with him when I was covering, uh, when I covered his fight in Buffalo. I can't do it. Makes me look unprofessional. Makes me look biased. You know, you, you can't do that stuff. Um, arguing with people on Twitter, not a good idea. You, I get trolls all the time. People telling me I suck. People telling me this and that. Sometimes I engage with them, but I try and do it in a professional manner because, uh, you know, you don't want anything to sort of come back and bite you in the butt. Um, I think it's important to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, you're not, you're not swearing, you're not, you're not being unprofessional. I think everyone's got a, you know, different style, but I think in general, if you want, if the goal for you is to, to, to make this a full-time job or to make it or to get a paying job, you're, you're doing this for free and you want a paying job. I think the best bet is just don't swear on Twitter. Don't, uh, you know, be, don't go at it with trolls. Don't start arguments. If you want to do something behind the scenes and I've done this before, I've DM someone who's a jerk to me and I said, what, what's the deal? You know, we talked about it in private. That's good because you don't want to bring any negative attention to yourself. I think, I think that's good. Same thing with Facebook, same thing with, with a lot of these things, but yeah, don't, don't be a fanboy. Don't be uh, don't suck up to fighters. God, that pisses me off. Like I see that. I see certain, you know, people interviewing fighters and you know, they're, they're, they're just kissing ass. And I think there's a fine line to, to sort of balance that out. Um, 
I sometimes maybe I walk over that line a little bit going maybe into the fan thing, but I just try and be more personable with them. But I think you can be personable and professional at the same time. So that, that's, uh, that's important. Um, another one is, uh, that, that, that I'd say is, uh, you know, some, some advice is, uh, you know, book, uh, book interviews, as far as booking interviews, be flexible with your times, you know, don't say you only have an hour from this till this, you know, maybe you're a busy person, maybe you don't have a lot of time, but I find weekends are really good. You know, maybe take a day on the weekend. If you plan on doing some interviews, give, give a good, uh, you know, kind of, kind of window for, for that type of stuff and make yourself readily available to, to fighters, uh, you know, to, to do interviews. I, I think it's important to, uh, you know, be good about it. And look, I've had a bunch of fighters cancel on me. I've had managers who've been very unprofessional to me or, you know, flaked on me on interviews. Don't, don't get after them. It's not going to solve anything. It's going to make you look bad in the end. I've had some bad experiences with fighters and managers and you know what? I've loved to tell them to F off, but the reality is it's just going to look bad on me in the end. And anything that's written on the internet can live on the internet and you don't want that to come and bite you in the butt. So just always try and stay professional as, as you can. Uh, my last uh, sort of advice thing here is we got about four minutes left uh, sucking up to other journalists. Ah, man, that drives me nuts. It's blatantly obvious. The people who uh, read someone's work and respect it, which I have no issue with, like, you know, Kareem's a good friend of mine, Kareem Zidane. He writes some really great articles publicly. I might say, you know, great article or something like that. That's when you can tell someone's read the article or whatever, but there's people who don't know other journalists who are wishing them happy birthday and who are, you know, going above and beyond just to like kiss their ass because they think it's going to help them get ahead. You got to stop doing that stuff, especially if you don't even know these people. Like we're on Twitter people. This isn't like, you know, I, I just, I find that I see a lot of guys really just trying to, you know, make their mark by, by kissing ass to, to the big names. And that's not going to get you ahead. Ask them questions, be interactive, but don't kiss their ass. I, I just, to me, you just, you look like a shill. And, uh, you know, last time I checked, uh, no one gets ahead by, you know, just, just, just kissing each other's ass. You know, it's good to, it's good to acknowledge other people's work and say, good job. You can tell the people who are acknowledging good work and, and are just, you know, have read the work and are doing whatever. And then there's the people who are doing it just to try and score brownie points. And that's lame. Don't like that. So these are, these are just my pieces of advice. I could be completely wrong, but these are things that I've kind of just noticed uh, throughout the years of covering the sport, um, which, which by the way, has been about uh, four years, four or five years of going, you know, freelance. And then, like I said, three weeks, full-time freelance. So again, I'm not an expert, but I'm someone who, you know, done this sport, uh, you know, for, for a decent amount of time. And I've, I've learned a thing or two, and I just, I'm trying to give some advice here. So we got about two minutes left to wrap up the podcast. Guys, I want to hear from you, guys and girls. Shouldn't just segregate it to guys. But uh, I, I really want to grow this podcast. I think it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I talked about, you know, how important it is to have a niche. I think this is a niche podcast. No one is covering the industry in general, how people are covering it. Like the goal of this podcast is to talk to people about their stories of covering the industry, their experiences, their, you know, this and that. Um, Jason Floyd did a great podcast. I, I, I believe he stopped doing it, but he has the MMA insiders podcast. That's not what this is about. I don't want to talk about fight fighters and topics and everything. I want to talk about the stories of the media members who are covering the sport. And, you know, people are probably disappointed, uh, you know, don't, don't like the topic, but, uh, it, it's unique. No one else is doing a podcast like this and I want to continue it. But, uh, but again, I'm open, I'm open to all feedback. Is there things you liked about this episode specifically? Do you want me to do episodes like this again, where I answer questions and maybe not talk so much about myself? I'm cool with that. Um, we're going to get guests on every week. That's, that's the big thing here. Um, I have a lot of people that I want to get on here. I think there's a lot of interesting stories. I mentioned Dwayne Finley, who I work with at uh, flow combat. He's my boss. Uh, he's got an interesting story. He's actually got a book right now on Amazon, which, uh, the, the cold distance, uh, go look it up a great book. Uh, you know, I, I haven't read it yet, but I hear great things. Um, you know, check that out. Um, I'm, I'm going to get a lot of cool people on here. I'll try and get some big names. I'll try and get an Ariel Hawani or Luke Thomas or someone like that. Um, but, but I'm going to get a lot of other really interesting people too. And I hope you guys enjoy me for the ride here. And, and I really got 
to thank Fightful because uh, they're, they're you know letting me host this podcast. Uh, they have a great setup over there. I've been so happy working with them for the last couple of weeks. It's been great. And, and again, this isn't me sucking up to them. This is me just acknowledging that I'm having a good time over there and uh, things are great. So so yeah, guys, I just want to hear your feedback. Um, you can check out uh, me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports. That's L Y N C H. Uh, you can check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lynch on Sports. I do video interviews for a bunch of sites, including Fansided, here at Fightful, Flow Combat, MMA Oddsbreaker. And of course, I, I also do um, uh, video editing for MMA Mania. You can find my video features up there as well. I usually do about one a week, one or two videos a week. So check that out for sure. And I just want to thank everyone for joining me, especially if you did this live. Because again, I know the GSP uh, interview is going on right now at the MMA Hour. And if you caught the replay, thanks again. I appreciate it, guys. Next week, don't know who the guest is going to be, but I'll have someone awesome uh, to, to kind of uh, get this uh, get this going and get this uh, podcast started. But I felt it was important today to really just kind of uh, get a lot of the questions you guys wanted answered and i hope you guys enjoyed it and i hope you found it informative and again get that feedback to me whether it's a dm on twitter or just tweet me in general thanks for watching guys really appreciate it and have yourself a great day this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.